Hey there, everybody. This is Craig Valentine from TurbulenceTraining.com and TTFatLoss.com here with another great seven-day fat-burning coaching call to help get you through the week. And I have some really cool tips, some guest tips this week from my friend Alan Cosgrove. Now, I interviewed him earlier this week for the Turbulence Training Certification Newsletter, and we talked about how we can improve interval training and how we can do some metabolic resistance training as conditioning and all sorts of good stuff. So I have two tips from him later on in this call. Now, I also want to mention that voting is wrapping up right now for our 10th Turbulence Training Transformation Contest. So we'll have our winners next week. There's four categories, over 40 men, over 40 women, under 40 men, under 40 women. And you'll see those results on transformationcontest.com next week. And in other news, the 11th Transformation Contest will start on May 1st. So you'll have almost the entire month of May to enter. I think the last day is going to be Memorial Day in from the United States. So it would be like May 29th or May 30th will be the last day. But May 1st is your first day to enter if you want to get a head start. And you have 12 weeks from when you start to do your transformation. So you can start on May 1st and you'll be done early, or you can start on May 29th and you'll be done on the very last day of the, of the contest. So you just have to make sure that you get your results in before that uh, – that final date that we give, and we'll give those that information out on transformationcontest.com forward slash rules. All right, so let's get started. Monday, April 18th, we are going to give you the transformation tip of the week, and that tip of the week is always something that I post on Facebook, and this one, like all the other quotes that I give you, got a lot of response, and so it's Keckett's Credo number four, and it says, real regrets come only from not doing your best. All else is out of your control. You're measured by results only. So do more than is expected of you, because life is easy when you live it the hard way, and it's hard when you try to live it the easy way. And I really like that one, and I added to that, you know, just focus on replacing your bad habits and thought patterns one by one over time with good habits and thought patterns. You don't have to do them all at once, just one step at a time done over time leads to powerful changes in your life. So please let us know the changes that you're making on the blog at ttfatloss.com or on Facebook at turbulencetrainingfanpage.com. There's a couple people that are always posting updates, and I really like to hear. You know, the, this uh, gentleman, John O'Connell, he, he just went for a three-mile walk or hike with his wife. He wouldn't have been able to do that six months ago because he's lost a lot of weight and, and got stronger, and he just posted that, and it's always good to hear that stuff. So I really appreciate hearing from you. On those pages. Now, into our training tips. This is a big section here, and it comes from some work I was doing with Women's Health Magazine. They were asking me about uh, injuries that women get from resistance training, and it applies to men too. So we're going to talk about that. And basically, you know, kind of like the number one thing I want to mention about why people get hurt with almost any type of exercise is they do too much too soon. So there's Research showing there's an increase in yoga injuries, and it's because more people are doing it and more people are doing too much too soon. It's not specific to, you know, whether yoga is good or bad or whether weight training is good or bad. It's specific to the approach that people take. So that's the first thing. Now, common mistakes that people make in resistance training include rounding the low back. So any exercise where you round your low back should not be done, and that means when do you're uh, doing dumbbell squats, 
or whether you're picking dumbbells up off from the floor. Make sure you're not doing any of that with a rounded back. Uh, another common mistake is not being strong enough for the exercise or coordinated enough. And often I see overweight men and women doing lunges where they step forward, and they can't do that. They're not strong or coordinated enough, especially if they're overweight because you just don't have the strength. A lot of people don't have the strength uh, to deal with all their body weight, even though a lot of other people can do it very easily, but it's because they don't have a lot of excess body fat. So you have to remember if you have a lot of body fat, you have to be careful with body weight exercises. And so something to do that would be better than that is a split squat where you're not stepping forward. It's not as difficult of an exercise. Or even a reverse lunge is easier than a forward lunge because that working leg stays stationary. All right, next. Most people get overuse injuries. They're doing the same type of training too often or they're training too often in general. And so you'll get overuse injuries at the shoulder. That's what happened to me when I was a teenager and I was doing muscle magazine workouts. You know, bench press on one day, shoulder press on another day, all my back exercises on another day, plus squatting, plus arm day, and each one of those days works the shoulder joint. And so over time, combined with playing hockey and, uh, you know, some body check stuff, I ended up with some overuse injury in my shoulder. Fortunately, due to smart training, I've gotten rid of the overuse injury in that one shoulder. So you can overcome that these injuries and these mistakes. Next up is overusing muscle groups and underusing other muscle groups. So if you're doing too many push-ups and you're not doing any rows because you're only using body weight exercises, well, you can run into trouble that way because you're not training your upper back properly. So you can do almost everything with only body weight. You can train almost every muscle group except it's difficult to train the upper back. And so that's where people get into some problems. They just do too many push-ups and they end up with tendonitis maybe in their shoulder joint or in even their elbow joint just from doing too much. So these are all ways. Um, one other thing to add is uh, simply a lack of focus. And so one of my friends is a very strong guy. He can uh, squat 600 pounds. And he always tells me that when he gets injured, it's when he's deadlifting or squatting three or 400 pounds because he's not focusing because he knows he can lift it pretty easily. So if you can squat 150 pounds, you might get injured when you squat 75 pounds because you're not paying attention. You pay attention when you get to the heavier weights, but you get a little lazy when you're at the lighter weights. So be careful with every repetition, every set. So those are all common ways that people can get injured. And so then the discussion with the writer from the magazine moved on into injury prevention. And so here's a list of a few things you should do. Get a professionally designed program as opposed to making something up yourself. I see a lot of people, especially on the forum, want to, you know, put together bits and pieces from their favorite workouts, and oftentimes they end up with something that is going to lead to an overuse injury, often in the shoulder joint or even in their grip strength or something like that. And so, you know, they mean well, but most people aren't going to come up with something correct. Now, that said, uh, you know, there's a catch-22 of getting a professionally designed program because most people will, you know, any uh, any professional or every professional is not going to have a great program. So you have to make sure you're getting a program from a competent professional, which is going to require you to get referrals from other people, which necess isn't necessarily going to uh, weed out 
competent people because there are many, many popular trainers who are popular because of their energy and, you know, they mean well, but technically they're not great trainers and they could lead to these injuries. So you have to get referrals, first of all. Um, you have to, uh, you know, talk to your healthcare professionals to see if, you know, the training is, is proper um, and always listen to your body. You know, you're going to hear that quite a bit. Listen to your body. Make sure that you're not in discomfort in the joints. It's okay to have the muscle soreness, but not the discomfort in the joints. All right. Uh, the second thing you can do is focus on quality, not quantity. One good focus set is better and safer than three sets done while talking to your friend and watching TV at the same time. So, you know, make sure that you're doing focused training. That's where you can get into trouble. And really, if you go into the gym and you do one set, as opposed to doing three sets, you're going to dramatically reduce your risk of overuse injury, even if you do all three sets perfectly. And you're still going to get, I would say, 60 to 75% of the results from doing three sets. There probably is a benefit to doing multiple sets, especially if you want more muscle growth. But you also increase the same repetitive number of same repetitive motions on that joint. So there's a trade-off. And the third one is always work at your appropriate strength, skill, and coordination level. Again, the example of people doing lunges when they're not ready for them and, you know, falling over in the lunge, you know, they can't do body weight, and now they already have dumbbells in their hand, and falling over and twisting their knees and hurting themselves with lunges and then wondering why their knees hurt the next day, it's very common, and that's something you want to avoid. All right, so bottom line here, the big reason that injuries on the rise is simply because there's so many more people doing it and so many people doing too much too soon. So more general recommendations. I, I gave the magazine... They asked me some follow-up questions. I said, for the first four to eight weeks, if somebody's just getting into a program and hasn't done resistance training in years or ever, just do one set instead of three. One hard set. You can do some extra practice sets because at the start, you're going to be getting your skill training down. You're going to learn how to recruit muscles. You know, the very first time you did dumbbell presses, remember how shaky you were and you couldn't really control the weights. It's a new movement. And so it's all right if you just do one or two sets for a few weeks. And every time you even go into a new program, even when you're advanced, you can still do a couple sets per exercise, but make sure only one of them is pushing the intensity level. That way you're not too sore after training. I also told beginners that they should generally use bodyweight exercises as much as possible, although in the case of someone who's significantly overweight and can't do push-ups, you know, it's okay to do dumbbell chest presses. We'll build up some strength until we can do get rid of some of that body fat and get closer to doing push-ups. So, you know, sometimes there's going to be dumbbells and sometimes you can do body weight. And then, again, spend the money and get a good trainer for at least a session if you have questions. Again, going through referrals. And bottom line is I told her, the girl, these weren't the magic answers she probably had hoped for. But whenever you want to do something right, it's going to take some work and it's not going to be an overnight success. So, you know, just make sure that you're getting referred to excellent, excellent people. And, you know, no one certification guarantees competence, just like passing the bar doesn't guarantee competence as a lawyer. So you just want to go through and find the person who has a recommendation for results, most importantly, results in safety, and hopefully brings the energy as well. All right, and bonus tip, as soon as you notice any nagging injuries, 
do your best to find someone who can do active release techniques, which is ART. You'll see that uh, certified therapists, massage therapists sometimes do it, physiotherapists, chiropractors. I mean, you don't have to get your back cracked if you hate that thought, but a lot of chiropractors do ART, so that might be one reason to go see the chiropractor. All right, that's a really great way to keep your muscle tissue healthy. In addition to doing some excess uh, Longer warm-ups, I'm uh, putting some videos on YouTube right now about longer warm-ups and also writing about that in my workouts and putting longer workout, uh, warm-ups in the turbulence training workouts, so you'll see that quite a bit. All right, so hopefully that helps you avoid all nagging injuries in the future. All right, let's move into Tuesday. We're going to do a supplement study here. And as you know, I recommend fish oil supplements. I think they're healthy um, but a lot of people recommend them for fat loss, and I've never seen anything that uh, really gives good reason to believe that fat loss is going to be a result of taking fish oil, although a lot of people believe it, and a lot of people have case studies that show that you know their clients take a lot of fish oil, their clients get a lot of results, um, so it may be one piece of the puzzle. But this study from the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition is called The Effects of Omega-3 Supplementation. Omega-3 are the fatty acids you get from fish oil in combination with diet and exercise on weight loss and body composition. Now, it was done down at the Cooper Institute, which became very famous in the 70s and 80s for recommending aerobics. So uh, we'll forgive them for that, and we'll move on into what they found here with the supplemental fish oil, or sorry, omega-3 fatty acids in conjunction with diet and exercise over six months. So they had 128 overweight individuals, and one group was given five omega-3 fatty acid uh, capsules. It turned out to be three grams of EPA and DHA. And the ratio of EPA to DHA is five to one. Now, I'll be honest, I haven't checked my EPA to DHA ratios. Those are, I can't remember what the best is. Um, those are just the active components of the omega-3 fatty acids. So sorry to confuse you with all these words. Um, but one group got the capsules with the omega-3s in it, giving them three grams total of the EPA and DHA, the active component, and then another group got placebo capsules. So they were getting a happy dose, and they were getting this daily in conjunction with the lifestyle modification and the exercise. Now, what they found was, as we get to the results, again, it's a 24-week study, and they had 27% dropout rate. So not great, but as I was telling uh, some other friends recently, you know, even my transformation contest where, you know, there's an incentive of prize money, there's an incentive of, you know, you're going to get guaranteed results. If not, you get your money back for the program if you, if you purchase turbulence training. And we still see a lot of people dropping out. So, you know, just by finishing and submitting your entries to the 11th Turbulence Training Transformation Contest, you're going to dramatically in increase your chances of winning just because oftentimes a lot of people just drop out. It's tough. It's tough. And so in these weight loss studies, we see a, a large dropout rate most of the time. This one's pretty hefty. Almost uh, one out of three people dropped out. So what they found was the people that stayed in, they lost an average of uh, over 5% of their body weight, and that was not different between the two groups, and there was no differences at all in any of the factors they measured between the two groups. So their conclusion was that omega-3 fatty acids are not effective as a weight loss strategy in overweight people. So... Bottom line is, you know, don't stop taking your healthy fat supplements if you're taking them and, and you know, especially if your doctor's recommended them for, for your health. I don't see any reason to stop, 
But again, you know, when people ask me if they're going to lose fat from fish oil or omega-3 in any type, I'm not convinced, and this obviously doesn't convince me any further. In fact, it does the other, or the opposite. So, that is something out there for the great debate for another day, I suppose, another nutrition debate. Let's move on back to training, which is a lot more fun than nutrition debates. So, Wednesday's workout tip is uh, the first tip from Alan Cosgrove that he gave on the call that I did. And when Alan does his ladder training, we've talked about the ladders quite a bit in the last month or so. So the ladders are where you do, you know, X, you know, 10 reps, then you may do another exercise or rest a little bit, then you go 9 reps, 8 reps, and count yourself down. So what Alan likes to do is start at 20 reps, so something you can do 20 times, um, and then count all the way down to 1. And he finds it's, you know, obviously when you count up, it's too easy at the start. And you're also, you know, you're really motivated to get down to the one. So he'll do something like burpees. I've seen him post this on his Facebook page. So if you want to uh, join Alan, it's facebook.com forward slash Alan Cosgrove fan page, I think. And Alan is spelled weird. It's A-L-W-Y-N. And so he'll do burpees or kettlebell swings, go from 20 to 1. And that's one of his conditioning workouts for himself. All right, into Trainer Thursday. This is our trainer tip, and so obviously that's a good tip for trainers as well as we're all the injury prevention ones. Um, but with uh, with Cosgrove, he's got a place in Newhall, California, I believe, and it's a great gym. It's one of the best gyms I've ever been in, and it's called results-fitness.com. And he started that about 10 years ago, and he found that when he would tell people to do interval training on their off days, so they'd come in and do resistance with him, and then you know he'd tell them to do an interval workout the next day, he found that they just weren't doing it. And so they started doing metabolic conditioning training. So, you know, similar to the bodyweight cardio, sometimes they'd throw in kettlebell stuff or TRX stuff. And when they did this, people were much more compliant and they really liked these workouts. And so there's two ways of doing those types of workouts. And the way he does them, the first way that he started doing them, it's the same as bodyweight cardio. You're doing uh, an exercise that is not going to cause soreness the next day. So for his kettlebell swings in his conditioning classes, he's doing higher rep, lower weight. Now, not like pink dumbbell high rep, low weight stuff, but you know if you can do a kettlebell swing with 53 pounds for 15 reps, you're going to use a 35 and do 20 reps, and you'll just do a whole bunch of exercises so that you're not going to have concentrated muscle soreness. And that way you can train with that type of training in between resistance training, heavier resistance training days. And so that's how he operates his gym. I think they, they do a four- or five-day program. And he's uh, I've been experimenting with some guinea pig, turbulence training guinea pigs on some five-day programs, and I think we might bring one out for May. So he has that type of metabolic conditioning, I think he calls that total body workout. And then he has another metabolic uh, circuit day or circuit class where people that don't do regular resistance training, they just like the classes, he'll incorporate some heavier movements because, as he was saying on the interview, if you just do the metabolic conditioning with the higher rep low weight, it's not enough stimulus to result in all the benefits of strength training. So it may not be enough for the the bone density. It may not be enough to get stronger. 
and to put a little bit of lean muscle mass on you, which is, you know, we're thinking long-term health benefits with that. And so he'll have two versions. The light, the light higher rep version, which is more of a cardio workout, all, you know, heart rates up, and he and I talk about this quite a bit in the interview, and then he'll have this heavier version. And so that interview is currently available only to the Turbulence Training Certified Trainers, but I'm thinking of doing a new print newsletter and advanced with advanced training, um, so basically taking the advanced training information that's going out to the Certified Turbulence Trainers on a monthly basis and making that available as a monthly print newsletter to people that are interested in advanced training. So you'll get a 10-page training newsletter where I break down workouts in more detail and, and new techniques, and you'll get an advanced training audio and transcript where I interview someone like Alan. So that is uh, something that I may make available in the next couple months. All right, into Facebook Friday did a, a big Q&A today, but this one came from the other day, and someone, I think it was Mandy, asked me, what is the difference in Romanian deadlifts and regular deadlifts? And so the Romanian deadlift is an exercise that targets your hamstrings mostly, and you have a slight bend in your knees from the start of the exercise to the end of the exercise, and you never bend your knees anymore. So it, all the movement is at your hips by pushing your butt back, and so it stretches the hamstring. So if you can get up and do that, you're not driving a car, if you can get up and do that, stand with your feet just about hip-width apart, maybe a little bit wider, bend your knees slightly, push your hips back, and you start to feel a stretch in your hamstring, and you have a, an, a slight arch in your low back. So if you touch your low back, you can feel that your um, spinal erectors on both sides of your spine are, are activated and very, um, very hard because they're contracted, and you're not rounding your low back at all. And so I like to think of it, you know, imagine you're in a hallway and you're a bit of a practical jokester like me and someone's trying to walk behind you. So you're facing one way and there's a space between you and the wall behind you and someone's trying to get by and you want to give them a little hip check. So you just push your hips back and you stop them from getting by but without bending your knees. And so that's one way of cueing people when I'm training them. You know, just to get push your hips back and increase the distance between your knee and your hip joint without bending your knee. And so you'll feel that stretch back there. And that's how you do the Romanian deadlift. With the regular deadlift, there's going to be more bending in the knee. You're not going to squat all the way down like you would in a regular barbell squat. And there's not going to be that much bend in the knee, but there's going to be more bend in the knee as you push your hips back and also squat down. So it's kind of in between doing a barbell squat and a Romanian deadlift. The regular deadlift has that much bend in the knee. Okay? Preferably have someone teach this to you in person if you're not comfortable with either of those exercises. That's the best way to do it. YouTube is good. There's some videos on there. You know, some of the, the turbulence training videos are great. But nothing beats someone showing you this in person. All right. And then now we're going to move on into... Social Sports Saturday, and here's something you don't probably know about Alan, but he's actually a two-time stage four cancer survivor, and as he, as he told me once, there is no such thing as stage five, so if you get to stage five, it's not, uh, you're not going to get the word survivor, um, so he's gone through some very uh, intense medical procedures, I think he's had stem cell transplant 
And so that happened in the mid-2000s, maybe 2004, 2005. Um, he beat it both times, and I think it was a lymphoma. And so he is very thankful for every day that he gets, obviously. And he can't really train the way he used to train. He used to be a, a world champion in Taekwondo. Um, he's, still, he, he's now back to training a little bit harder, but he can't train, you know, as hard as some other trainers can train. But one thing, I mean, I, I respect the guy for so many reasons. Uh, he runs an amazing gym, and he, he's a, got some uh, awesome books, uh, The New Rules of Lifting. And he put this quote out in one of his newsletters recently. I think you can get this at results-fitness.com, especially if you're a trainer. He has a trainer newsletter there. And he said, first thing to do every morning is read or listen to something positive. Your mind is like a garden. Whatever you plant grows. Plant good stuff. And so I really like that one. And, uh, you know, I've got a couple other positive things here to say to you. Uh, definitely one of the, you know, one of my faults is, like a lot of people, we compare ourselves to others. And, you know, when I was younger, I did that quite a bit. And as I got older, I compare myself less and less to others. Um, you know, I stopped reading so much stuff from other people just because I found myself comparing myself to them. It would lead to so much stress, and I wouldn't get, you know, the stress from comparing myself to some of these other people was less than the benefit I was getting of, of reading their information. And so um, I think that you'll get, a, you'll get an increase in happiness and a decrease in stress if you simply stop comparing yourself to other people. And it's, you know, very, very simple in theory, it's difficult to do, but, uh, you know, the old try not to keep up with the Joneses stuff just leads to stress. And so uh, just keep that in mind. I, I joked and I said, you know, you get an instant 117% increase in happiness if you stop comparing yourself to others. And it may not be 117, it may be 517, I don't know. But uh, maybe if that's one thing that's stressing you out, maybe go try and find a way to to avoid doing that. And then the final thing that I posted on Facebook recently that got some good responses, I just said, focus on what you can do instead of worrying about what you can't. So some good info there, I hope, will help you out. Um, at the very least, read some positive stuff in the mornings, as Alan said. And finally, we get into our plan, shop, and prepare day from for Sunday. And I've got some switch nutrition tips. So some interesting information that I discovered in a uh, Continental Airlines magazine of all places. Uh, you know, I read every airline magazine uh, in the planes that I'm on. And so I was coming back, I think, from Cleveland the other month, and uh, I was out of magazines, or usually when it's in the descent, I stop reading workbooks because I can no longer take notes on my BlackBerry, and I switch over to the airline magazine for the descent, usually by the time I start and finish, you know, we're at the gate. And so I found some interesting information from um, a guy named Brian Wansink, who has written books like uh, Mindless Eating, I believe is his book, and he's quoted a lot in the book, 59 Seconds. He's done some interesting research, and we've talked about it here in some of the past calls. And so he's talking about making healthy foods available. And so some stuff like putting produce on the most visible level of your fridge increases consumption. That wasn't his study. That was another person's study I've talked about before. Um, but I think he also mentioned that putting fruit out in bowls in highly trafficked areas increases consumption. And even using signs around those bowls to remind your kids to eat the fruit works, believe it or not. So what he did was he had um, – he was told to go into a school cafeteria, and without spending any money, 
he was told to increase fruit consumption. And all he did was he put a nice bowl of fruit up by the cash register, and it increased fruit consumption. I, I can't remember exactly what the numbers were, but 20%, 30%. It was that simple. It's just having this stuff in plain view. Obviously, when you go into grocery stores, what's in plain view at the checkout counter? All the junk, and you buy it. So you know that it works for junk, and it's also going to work for good food as well. He also gave some tips on uh, making sure that you don't focus on creating resistance. I think this is his tip. Um, so, you know, don't tell people what they cannot do and what they must deny themselves. Instead, focus on making it easier to make the right choices. The key is to alter the environment so it encourages less bad eating. And this is definitely a quote from him. He said, we rebel when forced to do things against our will. So offer your kids a choice between carrots or celery instead of just forcing carrots. So pretty simple. You know, hey, we're going to have vegetables tonight. You're going to have broccoli. Or the better way to do it is to say, which vegetable would you like tonight? Broccoli, carrots, or I don't know, whatever else, you know, spinach. Give the kid a choice. And that way you will have better chance of uh, getting them to do some stuff. He also found that placing broccoli... Oh, here are the numbers. He found that placing broccoli at the front of the cafeteria line increases consumption by 10 to 15%, and placing fresh fruit at the end of the line by the cash register instead of the cookies increases consumption by 70%. And uh, some little tricks, he said renaming zucchini as fresh spring zucchini increased consumption by 25%, and simply having the, the lunch people ask their kids, ask the kids in the school, do you want a salad, increase salad consumption by 33%. So none of these are real Jedi mind tricks. You know, they're close to Jedi mind tricks, I suppose. You know, none of them are forcing anything. It's simply offering this stuff, making it visible, and having it there. So make the right few choices visible, hide the bad food, and make it harder to access and this is going to dramatically change your kids and even your own eating behaviors. And then the final thing is to reduce the size of your bowls or plates to decrease consumption. That's another thing that he studied quite a bit in his lab. So hopefully there's been some good information in this call. It might be one of our longest calls ever. It might be our longest call ever, period. Um, hope it helped. We'll be back next week with training tips on my new workout a research review on internet weight loss, and a new eat your carbs at night research study that's going to stir up some debate. And huh, now that I think of it, I should probably just put, you know, go and uh, skip that study. But we will talk about it next week, and I'll let you make your own choices on that one. So thank you, everybody, for being on the call. Hope that you enjoyed it, and I hope that you're going to lose some fat with Alan's tips and that nutrition changes. And we'll talk to you next week, everybody. This is Craig Valentine from TurbulenceTraining.com and TTFatLoss.com, wishing you another great seven days of fat loss. Bye-bye.